What I want to do today, as we end 2023 and walk into 2024, my goal is simple. I want to remind us and call us back to one of the core priorities of the church. Uh, And as we think about where we're at in the life cycle of this church and what we're walking into next, I think this is really significant for this next season and, to be honest, for every season um, of the life of the church. Uh, I'm going to say some things today. All of them are extremely basic, uh, but extremely important. Um, So most of what you hear today should not be new. But again, I feel as we walk into 2024, God putting on my heart, we need to leave today feeling the weight of the importance of this priority as we walk forward in the church. So not necessarily the purpose of the church, but the mission of the church given by Jesus, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, right? Jesus uh, dies, he uh, is raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples, and right before he leaves the earth, he looks at his disciples and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, and here's what I want you to know, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age." The mission of God's church, go and make disciples of all nations. Everything that you listed as one of the purposes of the church falls in this great commission. Um, No one said, we we use the word expand his kingdom. No one said reach the lost, make make disciples, preach preach the gospel. Um, But we're supposed to go make disciples. So we lead people to faith and we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the other side of it, the bigger and sometimes harder work is to teach us to obey everything that he's commanded. And that's all the things that we listed are core purposes of the church. So the mission given by Jesus, make disciples. As we walk into 2024, we have to make sure that this stays at the center of who we are as a church. So point number one, I want us to remember today that God's heart burns for the lost. And I want to ask you the question, like, do you feel the weight of that when it is said? Or do you just dismiss it as one of those things that we say in the church? God's heart burns for the lost. Luke 15 up here. When Jesus came and he's walking about giving parables, chapter 15 of Luke, he gives a series of parables about something that's lost. And in the middle parable, he, he gives this statement, the son of man, Jesus came with a purpose. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus is giving us the reason for his coming to seek and save what is lost. If we are made in the image of God, if we are called to imitate the life of Jesus, if we're supposed to, as Christians, be gradually growing to look more and more like him, then his mission should be our mission. And the longer we walk with Jesus, the more his mission should become the driving factor of our hearts. So Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. So you should be saying as a believer, I am here 
to seek and save the lost. I am part of a rise church in this season because God has placed us here to seek and save the lost. And so the question as we begin that I want to think about is to what degree is that true of your life? To what degree is this the priority of the way you function and shape how you live in the world? We have to do an honest assessment to what degree is this true of our Do we exist to seek and save the lost or have we come to shape the life of the church for some other purpose? At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares this parable, which for many is one of the favorites. We're going to read Luke chapter 15, starting on verse 1. And I just want us to remind us of God's heart toward those who are lost. So this is Luke chapter 15. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. I love that you've got the tax collectors listed here who are the ones that society scorned because of the, the ways that they partnered with the Roman Empire over the Jewish people. So you've got the tax collector sinners and then you've got the actual sinners gathered around to, 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 to hear Jesus, both ostracized groups of people. Then the in crowd, the religious elite who think they've got it all together, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them a parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I don't know where you put yourself in a story like this. Do you see yourself in the tax collectors and the sinners sitting there with Jesus needing help? Are you more like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who think they have it together and know who's in and out and what's right and what's not? And you look at some of the people in your life and the sorts of people they like to associate with and you think, why do they eat and associate with that kind of person? Don't know if you see yourself as the lost sheep that's out there, Jesus is coming hunting. Or if you realize that you're one of the 99 righteous people who don't feel the need to repent quite through life the way we're going. But Jesus leaves those 99 in favor of the one. And so as I think about 2024, as I think about us stepping into this new season at the end of January, are we going to be a church that's going to shape what we're doing around the 99 that sit in the room, giving us the fellowship we want, the studies that we want, the happy worship that we want? Or are we going to be a church that looks like this, that understands that our purpose is to seek and save the lost and is going to shape everything it does for the purpose of reaching that one sheep as we leave the 99 behind? The hard thing is we like what the 99 like. Right? It's why we come to church together because we like what we're getting But sometimes to reach that one sheep, we've got to reorient what we do in order for them to feel comfortable with the things that we do or to shape how we function in the world to go out and to to be able to engage them where they're at. 
Matthew tells the same parable um, with a slightly different twist to it. So this is Matthew uh, chapter 18. We want to see again God's heart in here for the lost. This is chapter 18 starting at verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should perish. God loves and delights in us. Jesus loves the church, his bride. But according to this passage, he finds more delight in the one lost one repenting and coming back to him than the 99 that stay where they are. Now, that's not to diminish who we are as the church. That's to elevate. We know how much he loves the church. We know how much he loves his bride. So this is to elevate how much he loves when those people that don't know him come running back to him. This is the priority of Jesus. So here's a question to consider. If this is Jesus' heart, if he's willing to leave the 99 to go after the one, what are we willing to do individually and as a church, to see the lost saved. And I want, I want an honest assessment here. Like, what are you actually willing to do? Because sometimes I feel like we're not willing to do anything. Right? We're too comfortable as we are. We like our routine. We like things the way we are. We don't like the discomfort of sharing the gospel. We don't like to be with people that are uncomfortable. But if we're not willing to seek and save the lost, why are we here? Why would we meet? Why would we gather? I want to call us back to the core mission of the church, right? We preach the gospel. We make disciples. We bless the world. Earlier in Luke, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is, is describing the good shepherd and he's comparing this good shepherd to the bad shepherd. And he says the good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. But the hired hand at the the tiniest sight of danger, he's going to run and leave the sheep to their own fate. If we're supposed to be made in the image of Jesus, then not only do we need to be willing and embrace the call to seek and save the lost, but we need to be willing to lay down our very lives for those lost sheep. What are you willing to do to see the lost saved? How much money... Would you be willing to spend to see someone that you love that doesn't know Jesus come to faith? If you could put a price tag on the salvation of someone in your family, how much money would you be willing to pay? How many hours would you be willing to work overtime to make it happen? If you could guarantee in 10 conversations that the person that you love the most that doesn't know Jesus would come to faith, would you be willing to have 10 awkward, uncomfortable conversations if you knew on conversation 10 they'd come to faith? Or would conversation one throw us off, decide it's too uncomfortable and say, I'm, I'm willing to worship Jesus. I'm willing to gather with his people, but I'm not willing to go through the discomfort of laying down my life that the lost would be saved. God's heart burns for the lost. Number two, God is motivated by love and compassion. Uh, Jesus was not motivated by fear. 
He was not motivated by guilt that if I don't share the gospel, people are going to go to hell. He wasn't motivated by, I have to share the gospel because if I reach every person, then I can come back quicker. He was motivated by love and compassion. Those other things play into why he did what he did. But scriptures really give compassion lie at the heart of what he did. I love this part of Matthew 9. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is your posture when you look at the world around us? Looking at that passage in in Fuller, right? Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, that harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus looked to the people and saw people that were harassed and helpless and his heart broke. And he gave an instruction. My heart breaks for these people. The problem is not that people don't want to come to faith. The problem is there are not enough people to go out into the harvest to help them come to know who I am. Jesus motivated by love. I find myself stuck on this question when I look at this. Do I really love the lost around me? Does my heart really break for the lost? Ask yourself the question when you look at the world around you, is your posture Those people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Let's send people to reach them. Or is your posture, they're broken and there's no hope. There's no hope for the world. It's just going to get worse and worse. People are going to harden their hearts. No one's going to come to faith. So there's no point in going out there and sharing the gospel. There's a message that gets told that's partially true. The Bible seems to look like things get worse and worse toward the end, but it never tells us, therefore, give up. It doesn't say people's hearts are going to harden, so stop sharing the gospel. It increases the intensity with which we're supposed to share. So if Jesus looks at the world and is broken for them, we have to ask ourselves the question, and again, honest assessment, do I really love the lost around me, or am I much more comfortable surrounding myself with Christians? Am I much more comfortable with people whose politics look like mine? Am I much more comfortable with people whose income looks like mine? Who live in a neighborhood that looks like mine? Who speaks a language like mine? Who's fully able-bodied like I am? Or are we looking at the people around about us and loving and broken for the needs of the people around us? So for some people in the room, your main thing to take away today is a new prayer that I want you to keep to 2024, and it simply sounds like this. Jesus, fill me with your love for the people around me. You're the ones that are looking at this going, do I really love the lost, Lord? Do I really love the Lord, the lost around me? No, I don't, if I'm honest. So Jesus, fill me with your love for the people around about me, because until Jesus fills you with his heart for the lost, you're never going to be motivated to help them experience the fullness of life that, that he has for them. In that prayer, Jesus, fill me with your love for the people around me. You're asking him to give you his love. You're asking him to open your eyes to the people around about. It will draw you to spend more time with him, to spend more time with the people who are lost so that you can love them and even more importantly, spend time with the people that you know have a heart for the lost who can help cultivate that in you.
do I really love the lost around me? If the answer is no, you're going to walk into 2024 with the same attitude to the Great Commission that you had in 2023. But if we can ask God to fill us with a heart that's broken for the lost, 2024 is going to look a very different year from the year before. Point number three, this has already been said, but I'm going to say it explicitly. God calls us to have the same priority that he has, particularly as it comes to the lost, but in all areas of his life. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the people that are lost. I look at the world, I'm harassed, they're harassed and helpless. Send laborers into the harvest field. He chases after the one and says, I don't want a single one of these little ones to perish. And then he looks at his church and says, because of those things, because of my love for the world, Because of my compassion for the lost, go and make disciples of the nations. And he calls us to shape our lives around that priority. Are you shaping your life around the priority of the Great Commission? Or has your life been shaped around something else? There are lots of great things in life that we can shape life around that rob us of the Great Commission priority. We shape our lives around our careers, We shape our lives around our kids. We shape our lives around our hobbies. We shape our lives around church participation. But are we shaping our lives around the Great Commission? God calls us to this Romans 10. Again, I told you, this is not new stuff, but I want you to feel the weight. Romans 10, 13. Remember what Paul says as he's writing to the Roman church. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, anyone in your life, in your neighborhood, in our city, in the world that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. And then it goes on, but how can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How can they preach unless they are sent? So I'm telling you today, you are sent. There are people waiting to be saved, but they've not heard of the God that they're supposed to call on. No one has been willing to share the gospel with them and they're ready to accept it. And God is looking, going, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Are you willing to have feet that bring the good news? The last passage, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, so ask the Lord to send out workers into the harvest field. Plus this one, how can they believe unless someone actually goes and shares the gospel, brings up this question. And I think this may be A core question for people in the room to wrestle with where you're at in your faith journey. Here's the question. Do I actually believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do I actually believe it? Do I look at the world around me and see a plentiful harvest or have I given up hope? Scripture seems to make it really clear. The Gospels are filled with this encouragement that God is going after the lost sheep Are we being attentive to who those lost sheep might be? Are we ready to hear him? If he was to say, 
Go share the gospel with this person. Are we even attentive to hearing that? Are we working on ourselves enough to try and get some of the brokenness out of the way so that we can actually be effective at sharing the gospel and remove as many hindrances as we possibly can? I, I look at this question and I look at the state of the church in the West and I find myself wondering if the church has decided that there's a famine in the world and that Jesus lied when he said the harvest is plentiful. That Jesus gave us a commission that we could never fulfill and set us on a losing battle into a world to make disciples when no one would ever come to faith. I sometimes wonder if the the church in the West has lost sight of the fact that he's given us the Spirit of God who helped create the universe, who raised Jesus from the dead, who took people like Paul uh, and turned them from a church persecutor into a, a church planter. And we go, well, well, somehow the Holy Spirit's like run out of power in our generation. Like we've depleted that finite power source. There's not enough to keep going on. Do you really believe when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful that it's true? I think for many of us, we have to wrestle with this and we have to ask Jesus to change our heart. Help me to look at the people around me and rather than see people to hate or to disdain or to disparage, to understand that they're harassed and they're helpless. They have no shepherd and I may be the only shepherd that can be sent to love and nurture and care and heal and feed this poor little lamb. Point number four, as believers... God expects us to bear fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What we do is we reduce this to the fruit of the Spirit, right? God wants me to bear fruit. So what's that fruit going to look like? I'm going to look like Jesus, I'm going to be more loving, I'm going to be more patient, more joy-filled, more self-control. And we forget that part of fruit-bearing is that seeds will be planted and harvests will be reaped. Part of the fruit that Jesus expects of us is that our life, at the end of our life, we'll look back and we'll bear testimony to a line of people that were walking in darkness, that through our living, seen the light and come into saving relationship with him. That these people who are lost will understand the gospel and they'll come to participate in the life of church to get all the things that we talked about, fellowship and worship and love, and service, and good deeds toward one another as we partner together to do his work in the world. John 15, verse 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you'll remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You know this, right? If you want more fruit in your life, if you want freedom from lust, If you want more patience with family members, if you want perseverance with the things that you're facing, if you want healing, abide in me, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's December 31st. It's the time of year where we tend to look back over the last year and we start thinking about the next year. We think of the New Year's resolutions that we're making. As you reflect, does the fruit of the last year of your life show you to be one of his disciples? Is there evidence that Jesus is working through you? Or is life complacent and unfruitful? And if it is, then I would ask you to consider the quality of your abiding. And I know everyone's here because you want fruit. There's an invitation to intimacy with Jesus that promises the fruit, not just of a transformed life, but of transformed lives of others as you walk in the world. Last passage, Matthew chapter 5. You, you can put your own name after this, put a comma. You, Kim. You, Kimmy. You, Renee, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. If this world is filled with darkness and the only light that it's going to see is yours, how much light? I mean, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. I'm asking all these questions. I'm asking the same question in multiple ways. Here's the question this time. Have we as the church lost our saltiness? Do we look more like the world that we're trying to minister to than the Jesus that we're trying to introduce them to? Have we lost our distinctiveness? Do other agencies in the world love the world around us better than we do as the church? As I was reflecting on this, I thought, you know, cheesy thing, but we, I think we look more like pepper than salt. Salt's a preservative that can be used for lots of things, but pepper, it's spicy, right? In small doses, pepper is good, but you dump a whole pile of pepper into someone's dish, it's not so great. So rather than have the salty distinctiveness of someone who looks like Jesus, I think we've got the peppery arrogance of the world hidden under the guise of Christianity. I think we communicate a message that doesn't reflect Jesus, that turns people off to who he is, rather than the call to intimacy and holiness that he wants of us as we walk in the world. So here's the questions for you to think about. What are you willing to do to see the lost saved? Do you really love the lost around you? Do you actually believe the harvest is plentiful? And have you lost your saltiness as you walk in the world? As a church walking into 2024, like these three years have been, they've been hard for me in one sense. This job has been fantastic. Like you're all amazing. But one of the hard parts of this season is 
There's so much that's had to be done in the background to build the systems that we need, go through the steps the denomination wants us to do. There are lots of people come in the church with things that they want to see happen here, and I'm trying to juggle getting all the right pieces in place. But what ends up happening is so much of my time gets focused on how the church is functioning and not enough on how we reach the people out there that are dying without Jesus. I've got a friend, uh, I just found out recently, a friend of mine, uh, he's a very successful guy, makes a packet of money, um, uh, part of a religious community where he raises millions uh, for, for projects around the world. I heard uh, wonderful kids, and I heard through a friend that his marriage has fallen apart. And I was like, Buddhism's not going to fix this. All the money that he's earning is not going to fix this. What he needs is Jesus, right? He needs to know how loved he is, that he doesn't need to earn love through accomplishment. He needs to know how loved he is, that he doesn't need to do all this humanitarian effort to feel loved and important. And he needs to know that he doesn't have the ability in himself to fix himself and fix his marriage. But there is a power that he can get through Jesus that will overcome all his brokenness and give him the strength to live differently in the world. But if no one tells him, then most likely his marriage is going to fall apart. His family is going to fall apart. Um, he needs Jesus. So... Your mission, should you choose to accept it. (laughs) We're going to do this initiative this year called One. I want it to be really simple. So here's your mission. Choose one person in your life to pursue this year. There's a caveat for this. It's not allowed to be the person that you look at going, this is the person that's furthest from Jesus and the hardest miracle to make happen unless God specifically puts that person on your heart undeniably. The harvest is plentiful. What Jesus doesn't say, take the person who's the hardest and most opposed to me and waste all your resources there. He says the harvest is plentiful. So find the ones that are hungry Find the ones that are curious and start sharing the gospel. So I want you to find one person to pursue in your life. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to think for the year in ones. I want you to give one minute every day in prayer for that person. One minute. That's basically like one long sentence or two. And it doesn't need to be complicated. I'm thinking about that friend I was mentioning. God, would you open their eyes to see you? Would you soften their hearts to receive you? Would you move in their life? One prayer, one minute every day. Think in ones. What's one meal that you can invite that person to eat with you? What's one gift that you can give them this year just to bless them? What's one word of encouragement that you can speak into their life as you see them? If it's someone you see regularly, maybe you want to make this a regular practice. I'm going to be on the phone to this friend. What's one thing, just one thing, one simple thing that God might want me to say to them today? It's probably not going to be, you're a miserable sinner. Jesus hates your sin. Jesus died for your sins, you need Jesus. It's probably going to sound something like, do you know how much God loves you? 
you know how much you've been wrestling with anxiety? You know, I think Jesus wants to give you peace. I'm going to pray for peace in your life. And maybe as it goes, you'll get to the point where, where the door opens to share the gospel more fully. But what's one thing? Can you make one invite to church at some point in the next year? Is there one celebration you can include them in? One birthday you can invite them to? A party that you're having? Fourth of July? Just one celebration that you can invite them to think about uh, being included in. So what I want you to do is every chair has two pieces of paper. And so what I want you to do is... We'll allow you to change this later, but for now, I just want you to think of a person in your life that doesn't know Jesus, that you care about, and I just want you to write their name on both pieces of paper. And then when we leave, there's a little basket that has the, the one logo on it as you're walking out the door. I want you to take one of them, and I want you to plop it in the basket. And I want you to take the other one home with you. Stick it inside your Bible, stick it in your car, stick it where you brush your teeth, something that you do regularly. Um, and, and we are, uh, this week, we're going to be putting something out in the lobby. Um, and we're going to display these cards for all of 2024 on the wall so that every time that we walk in, uh, we can see them and pray for them. And then we're going to put a little collection of different colored cards on the wall. And what we're going to do is over the course of the year, as these people come to faith, because the harvest is plentiful, we're going to invite you to take their name and put it on a different card, different colored card and stick it on the wall. And I fully believe that over the course of the year, we will see all the white cards change to be a different color. And I found myself thinking, this is just one, right? I'm I'm trying to make this as easy as possible. If this year, every person in our church was successful in reaching just one person for the gospel, what would that do for our schools, our workplaces, our churches, our families to see one person's life changed? So this is our focus for 2024, just one And I'm hoping all year long we're going to have people up here giving testimonies of things they've tried with the people that they're reaching out to. Um, The caveat is this is not a make them a project. We've got to guard against that. This is God, give me your heart for this person. So for some people, what's going to have to happen this year as you pick this one person, for some people, you're going to have to pick up a new hobby. Because to be able to engage with this person, you're going to have to find the thing that they love and go do it with them. That's one of the ways that you're going to come alongside pursuing relationship with them. uh, It might look like you're going to join a gym, join a choir, go sing with them, start running, find a class in the community that you can do with them. Oh, they love photography. Let's go do a photography course together. Because that's going to give me time in your world to enter into where you're at, to see what you need so I can come alongside and bless you. Um, In April, City View Charter School will move out of those three buildings. They have their new property. Uh, Their middle schoolers have moved out of Evergreen into the new property. 
over the course of the term, they're getting everything ready for their elementary schoolers to move out and into their new property. We have three buildings filled with classrooms that I want us to use for the community. But we can sit in here as a cloistered church and come up with ideas that serve us. And we can come up with ideas of what we think the people out there want. But I believe if we do this, if every person spends one minute a day praying for one lost person and begins having conversations and finding out their needs, I think we're going to sit in a room together and find that there are similarities in what the people in our lives need. And then we can say, let's start using those buildings to provide those services that those people need in order to be fulfilled as they walk in the world. So, your mission, should you choose to accept it, choose one person to pursue this year. Write their name on the piece of card and let's see what God does as the harvest plentiful has laborers sent out to reap the harvest. So let me pray and then here's what I want you to do. I just want you to group up, pick someone next to you and a simple prayer. In light of that, walking into 2024, uh, and this may, maybe you burn for the lost already, so it's a, a re-prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Give me a heart for the lost. So let me pray and then release you to pray and then we'll close in worship. God, it is so hard to stress and to grasp the extent that this matters to you. God, we are the church, your bride. Every person in this room, you say we are your treasured possession. You delight in us. You've chased us. You've pursued us. You bless us. You want intimacy with us. God, you love the people in this room. You love your church. But God, you did not want your church to just sit together and forget about the world out there. God, the people in our lives need Jesus. Not so our church can grow, but because they will be fuller with you. Lord, they will be freer from the things that have them killing them. Lord, they will be free from the lies that have them trapped and tear them down. They'll be free from the addictions that have been robbing them of life. They'll be free from the broken patterns that they've been stuck in generation after generation. God, they'll have different purpose as they walk in the world, understanding that they're part of something bigger and that heaven is behind them in the work that they're called to do. God, you care about the lost. You don't want a single one to perish. But God, as a church, it's so easy to lose sight of how important that priority is to you. And it's so easy to get caught up in how big and complicated and difficult it seems to be to reach the lost. And so God, break our hearts. Give us your heart for the people in the room and give us your heart for the people that we interact with, that we would love them and bless them and serve them and offer them you so that they can have life and life in abundance. God, when I get to the end of my life, I don't want to sit back and look and all I have is a church full of Christians doing Christian things. God, I want to look back and see lives changed, souls transformed, people healed, brokenness, whole family generations changed and transformed because I brought your light into the darkness. God, may that be true of our church.
Help us feel the weight of this. God, and as we write names on cards, we give these people to you. Help us to be attentive. Help us to love and serve them. God, and by this time next year, we see multiple of those names transformed as their lives are given to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So grab someone next to you and just 